Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Pulse, a PC's podcast dedicated to examining the business side of healthcare. I'm Lori Cox, and I am your host today. And we have a really fun, hopefully, podcast ready for you all today. I have Rhonda Buckholtz, one of my greatest friends and favorite people on the planet. And we're going to talk about risk adjustment. So welcome, Rhonda. Hey, it's so great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad that we could fit you into your busy schedule because I know that's uh, pretty tough on all of us these days, right? It's been crazy. It has been. I'm good crazy, but crazy. (laughs) Oh, absolutely, right? So you and I have been having some conversations about risk adjustment um, and protecting that revenue that well, obviously we all need in healthcare, whether we're for profit or not for profit. But I wanted to start because there might be some people listening to our podcast. Maybe they don't really know what risk adjustment is. So can you do like a brief here is a high level overview of what when we say risk adjustment, this is what we mean. Sure. So. Um, You know, we talk about risk adjustment a lot on the health plan side. Um, And so those risk adjustment codes are are based off of the patient's clinical condition. So the HCCs, which are based off of the diagnostic codes. Um, We don't typically, in my world, in the provider world, um, talk a lot about risk adjustment audits, or we haven't in the past, because we get overwhelmed by the volume that we get from the payers, but we never get the results. And um, typically our contracts are fee for service. So in the past, it's never affected our dollars, right? where it has affected the health plan dollars. Because as you know, Lori, the sicker the patient, Mm -hmm. the more reimbursement that the health plans can get for the treating of those patients. Right. there's a lot of documentation. Um, we talk about meat and tamper. I think those are the two most well known in the risk adjustment world for having documentation for supporting that diagnosis code, right? Yes. I mean, and so it, it's interesting when they come in and audit. Um, and the most frustrating part for us is I can tell you, um, I live my days in the ophthalmology world and we are getting request for hundreds and hundreds of records every week. As a matter of fact, I now have to employ a full-time person who does nothing but pull risk adjustment audits for us. Really? And that's just risk adjustment. That's not like standard auditing, auditing. Uh, You know, when we talk about like E&M or ophthalmology, surgical auditing, that's just risk adjustment? Just risk adjustment. And so it's crazy because we don't Again, we're fee for service. We don't get paid extra for treating those patients. But what we've found out, and, and we don't get the results, so we can't even rep- improve based off of them. And so that's one of the things that's been extremely painful for me because the person that I have doing it, uh, every time we do an audit, she reaches out when, when we pull the records to say, we would like a copy of our results. Please provide us with you know what, what we need right. to do to improve. And inevitably, they're they're like contact the health plan because the health plans are contracting out on it. So far, I've had one health plan give me back the results. One, one out yeah. of several, out of yeah, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. Oh my, yeah. And so it's very frustrating on the provider side because even though we're fee for service now. 
we're actually getting dinged off of these risk risk adjustment audits and the payers have put edits into the contracts that state that if we don't, if they do a risk adjustment audit and we don't um, meet the requirements for the documentation, so say we build a diagnosis code that hit HCC um, and it wasn't documented right, they have the right to come back and take our fee-for-service money from us. Um, get Keep in mind, we don't get the results, so we don't even know. So and, it's awful. Yep. And then we have other payers that based on our diagnosis codes are actually paying us less per encounter based off of these. We we got a letter from um, from one payer last year that flat out told us we were going to be paid less because of the results, didn't tell us how much less and and didn't give us the results. So we have no idea what's happening and, and we're just losing money. Right, because you're paying this person for one, a salary, and you have to, there's really no, you can't not do it, right? This is something you really have to do. A hundred percent. And we're no longer allowed to charge. So in the past, they actually allowed us to charge them. And then that changed years ago. And so now we don't even get paid for pulling the records. Um, You know, it's, and, and to allow them into our computer systems, that's a whole nother level. Um, right now we have security risk. I got to make sure they're educated. Right. We have a whole bunch of compliance concerns on that area. So I really don't have a choice but to uh, pay someone to do it. This just sounds so like, why is it this way? Is, is there anything in the works that is going to solve this issue in the future? So I I don't I don't know across the board. I know for us, we're starting to um, reach out and renegotiate our contracts. And then at the same time, we're including the risk adjustment um, and how we can get those results. Uh, it's unfathomable to me that they can ding a provider, pay them less. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen it. Ha- right, I see it happen in, in our reimbursements um, and then uh, not tell you. Yeah, that doesn't seem very fair to anybody because we're all losing in the end. Yeah, yeah. And then if we take it a step further, um, so we don't get the results back, we can't improve. Um, And the one particular one that we did get the results from, they did indicate in in the paperwork that they were going to reprocess those claims, Mm -hmm. but they didn't tell us how. And so now we're actively watching to see if they're going to take money back on those claims or, or what they're going to do, because some of them, they added a diagnosis code. Some of them um, they removed. Now, what's really interesting, Lori, um, is, you know, in I-10, they have that with or without rule. Right. And so if you're a doctor, you're you're not actively engaged in knowing every single ICD-10 guidelines. Right. right. right? Um, so unless you were trained, uh, I always, I tell my docs, right. Unless you were trained by me or my team, <laughs> like, you wouldn't know to document this way, right. You wouldn't know right. to code it this way. And so for us in ophthalmology, it hits us hard with our cataracts mm-hmm. because of all the diabetic patients out there that have cataracts. Oh yeah. Diabetes is a big one. It's a huge one. And so, and I saw that on our risk adjustment as well. And so, um, What's really interesting is they weren't coding it because they don't know if that cataract was caused by diabetes or not. Mm-hmm. And they feel it's fundamentally wrong based on the index of a code book 
to code it that way. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I tell them like, hey, I totally get it, but like, here's the rules. And if you don't follow the rules, then we're failing the risk adjustments and now they're going to pay you less. So if, right, you don't, if you, if you really strongly feel that way about it, I'm going to need you to document that it was not caused by the diabetes. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I can't, they say, I can't do that either. Right. Because I don't know. Right. And so I, I said, we have to follow the coding guidelines. We have to, or it's going to keep coming back and getting us because not only now, because that's hitting us and, and it is such a huge thing for us. But when you think about MIPS mm-hmm. and cost, mm-hmm. um, I, I'm treating those patients that are in those higher risk categories, but I'm not proving it through my claim submission. And so now when I get scored on my MIPS, I'm actually going to get scored worse on cost because we're not capturing it correctly, even though we actually are capturing the right type of cataract, right? Right. So um, it's, yeah, it's it's a sad That's, place to be. Well, and it, it makes it even more worse because we're always going back to just auditing it's we we've been folks we've been trying to focus on patients over paperwork right that's been the whole reason for the changes for all the updates but it seems like risk adjustments taking it backwards and they want you to document all this stuff but maybe like you said it's not relevant um so now we have these providers and their main job is to treat the patient right that's what they went to medical school for and we hear them say all the time well i'm not a coder well but how do you get them on board? I mean, you got to tell them we're not getting any revenue. Well, you're not. <laughs> and you don't even know what you're doing wrong. The whole foundation of risk adjustment is flawed um, from the administrative burdens that it places on the providers to even the health plan scrambling, right, to try mm-hmm. to get those extra uh, extra funds. And I'm sure the amount of money that they pay to try and, and data mine all of those results um, to the lack of education for the providers. Um, and I know there's some great risk adjustment companies that are out there educating, Mm -hmm. but the health plans in particular, especially the commercial ones, there's no education and there's no, right. There's no thought process behind it. And there's can't even get a provider rep anymore. Oh yeah. Um, I've heard that from several of our clients here that I, and they asked me, okay, we got a denial on something. Well, it doesn't make sense. Can you contact your provider rep? And they're like, we don't, we just don't have one. Um, they don't have one to even tell you what to do with. No, no, exactly. It's it's next to impossible to communicate with a human being at a health plan. Yes. Yes. That's terrible. Um, and I feel, I just feel like we're caught in this cycle and there's really nothing we can do about it because what are you going to do? Say, okay, well, we're just not going to take Medicare patients anymore. I mean, especially with you all in ophthalmology and cataracts, I mean, that would just kill your practice. 52% of, of ophthalmology is, is Medicare patients. Yeah. So that's not an option. So you're kind of stuck. We, we absolutely are. Um, and, it, and it's a shame because these providers work so hard. And every year there's something happening that takes reimbursements further away from them. And, you know, it it just, it kills me because I work so hard. That's, that's the one thing I like most about healthcare, right? Is advocating for those physicians Mm -hmm. and the, and ultimately the patients. Absolutely. Um, And, and it's, it's, it's a hard pill for them to swallow. Oh my. Um, So this is all really interesting. I, um, 
So what are some things that you can do? Like we educate our providers on, obviously, we want them to document to the highest level of specificity. We've been screaming that at them since we went to I-10. <laughs> but what else is there? Yeah. So I think the message needs to change because, um, you know, I was talking to uh, my my actual uh, primary care doctor is a really good friend of mine. And, you know, I said to him, uh, late last year, you really need to start paying closer attention. The health plans are starting to pay you less. He's like, you know, you've been telling me that for years, <laughs> but, and I'm like, but you're seeing it. If you look at your reimbursements, you're going to see it there. Like they're using all sorts of software now and editing based on, on your unspecified codes and the yes. ones that are hitting the risk adjustment. Like you really need to be paying attention. And so when you take a look at it, um, from the financial aspect, and you can actually see it. I did a deep dive into one of our payers um, because uh, I I had a feeling that they were paying us less. Mm -hmm. um, and when I looked at it, um, I said to our RevCycle team, hey, guys, this they're not paying us our contracted rates. And it was the weirdest thing. Some were $4 less or $2 or it wasn't even consistent amount less really? on the fee schedule. Um, and so, um, but trying to get a meeting with them. So the, the message I think has changed to the physicians. It's, you know, it's not just because it's, it's what you should be doing, right? It's not because we need you to code to the highest level of specificity. It's for all the things that you and I have just talked about. Your, your reimbursements are going to suffer if you don't, not only on your fee for service where they either tell you they're going to reduce it a whole level and not tell you because when they're sending back your claims that, and you build a level four and you used an unspecified diagnosis code, um, they're not changing it to a three. They're just paying you for a three. And if you don't have your fee schedules loaded into your system, mm -hmm. which is crazy when, when we run up against that night, yes. it happens every single day. Um, if you don't, you have no idea if you're getting paid right or not. Right. And because there's no way to pay a person again to just sit and look at the revenue that's coming in unless you notice a big problem. And then going through those line by line, I mean, that's not feasible. No, no, it's it's super painful. You need the technology to do it. Um, and so I think the message to, to physicians needs to change that this is absolutely hurting their reimbursements. They have to code to the highest level of specificity and make sure that they actually understand the coding guidelines for the conditions that they're treating. And that's a painful pill um, mm -hmm. for these docs to swallow. Um, mm -hmm. because otherwise without that education and working with them, I know I've been working on influencing my own, uh, own and, and, and my clients, but my own physicians as well and explaining to them why, because those MIPS scores, that can be a 9% penalty now. Um, and when you take the cost in that cost, I think is 25%. It's, it's a chunk. And so if, you know, if you've gotten those comparative billing reports for Medicare, you know, you already know your cost is probably higher. Um, mm -hmm. you, you've got to make sure that you're coding so that it, your cost equals out correctly. Well, in those comparative billing reports, and again, looking at your fees and your revenue coming in and matching it up, that might be the first indication that something is even going wrong. Because like you said, the health plans aren't telling you what you're doing wrong. They're just going to not pay you as much. Right. Exactly. I think the whole messaging that we need to make to the providers is uh, it needs to change. 
I agree. This is really interesting. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break here and we're going to come back and we're going to talk some more with Rhonda about risk adjustment. We'll be right back. How are you safeguarding against errors that put your organization at risk? At AAPC Services, we leverage our deep expertise in over 80 medical specialties. We create tailored solutions that drive accuracy, profitability, and peace of mind for healthcare organizations of every size. And when it comes to the accuracy you depend on, we leave nothing to chance. Your project will undergo our multi-tier quality review process, ensuring you meet your goals and we maintain our enterprise-wide 98% accuracy rate. Learn more at aapc.com slash business. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Pulse. Um, Rhonda and I have been talking in depth about some of the issues that, uh, and I'm putting that very lightly, (laughs) some of the issues that we're seeing with risk adjustment. Um, One thing I keep seeing over and over, um, because I sign up for the OIG uh, for their news, and I'm constantly getting emails, um, OIG is finding this in risk adjustment, and they're recommending this health plan and they're auditing too. So on top of the payer audits, the OIG is coming in and auditing. Is that what you're seeing? Yeah, you see it on the OIG work plan a lot and and to the tune of millions of dollars. Um, And so you wonder if they are also beginning to understand that maybe this program is broken. That's a good point. Um, Because the OIG seems to be sometimes a little bit ahead of the game on things like that. So I wonder, so what do you anticipate could possibly happen in the future? Do you think risk adjustment is going to ever just go away completely or do you think it's going to change? I personally would love to see risk adjustment go away. And <laughs> I you're going to say that. <laughs> I know I'm in the minority and all my friends in risk adjustment that are listening, please. <laughs> like, I, we love I you. From a provider standpoint, I love you all. Um, it, but, you know, it's, it's such a punitive program the way that it's set up. Um, the patients aren't getting anything more out of it. Um, right. And, uh, and the doctors aren't getting any, anything more out of it. And so I think we need to reevaluate how the program is set up. And I think if they're doing audits, that they need to really um, provide meaningful education back to to everyone. Well, and that was like the whole key piece of the beginning of risk adjustment, if I think of way back when, was that it was supposed to help the patients. At the end of the day, that's what all these programs are supposed to do, but it doesn't seem like it's doing that. I mean, how is it helping the patients if you're not getting any feedback? And then how is it really going to change the doctor's care of that patient? Oh, he can't treat this patient for this because it doesn't risk adjust. None of that really jives with me for some reason. Well, look at how much hot water all of these Medicare Advantage plans are in for false advertising and um, and and then trying to incentivize to get people to change over by offering, you know, these random benefits that, yes. that really don't change the outcome for, for the patient. Right. Right. It, it's not addressing those chronic conditions that we're data mining for. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it, it's the, I think the whole program needs to be revamped. Mm hmm. Maybe you'll be the one to revamp it. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure anybody wants that to happen, but um, 
you know, it's something that benefits. I mean, the at the end of the day, it's supposed to be about quality of care. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what we always find to be problematic, right? In any of these types of programs, it, meaningful use, it was not. It was not about outcomes. It wasn't about the quality uh, uh, for patient care. It was an administrative burden. Now, you know, we've transitioned into MIPS and it's the same thing, really. It's a reporting structure um, and and you don't really, um, you know, we can't even, we don't know the cost. The cost is a made up number that comes from a CMS, right? We can't even combat that. And uh, when you when you look at the the different things, you know, it's, always comes down to administrative. There has to be a better a better way. And maybe population care will take care of that, right? As we move more towards population-based care, um, maybe as they start to figure out some of those types of things. But again, that, those never seem to hit the provider offices. Everyone always seems to leave the provider out of the equation. Mm-hmm. And they're the one that are is delivering the majority of the care. Right, exactly. So like you said before the break, how um, is the provider supposed to, and I'm air quoting when I say improve their quality, if they're not getting any feedback on what the documentation is supposed to say, and you're not understanding why you're getting less payment, you're just getting it. That, that just does not make any sense. No. the only communications the providers are getting are punitive ones as to why they're going to take money back or how they want to change their contracts or, right, their restrictions. But no one is providing the providing the providers Mm -hmm. uh, with the resources to be able to provide better outcomes and to track those better outcomes. Right. It's it's just a real shame. The whole and, and yeah, the whole program, in my opinion, Mm-hmm. Um, we, we need to revamp it somehow. It should not be just about pulling out the diagnosis codes. If we're going to track, we should track outcomes. I like that much better. Um, I get the diagnosis coding and, and why we're using it. But the outcome, I mean, that's what we're here for is to take care of the patient again and to give them quality of care. And I feel like we've had now we have to go tell our doctors, well, like you said earlier, um, you have to say that the cataract is related to the diabetes or not related. Well, he doesn't know. He can't say that. Yeah. Yeah. I've had, I've had several, you know, I had one doctor call me up. It was so cute. And he said, I think you're spreading some misinformation. Oh, and I said, well, tell me how. And so he started and I said, well, let me give you the history. And so I gave him a brief history on high CD10. And then I said, but do not take my word for it. Let me send you over the guidelines and, and the index and let me mm-hmm. let me show it to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I did, he said, this is earth changing for me. I did not understand this. And he said, OK, he said, I know what I need to do now. Um, you know, they're thirsty for the education and for the knowledge. Um, I agree. I think most of the doctors I talk to, they do want to learn. I mean, they want to be profitable, you know, they, yeah. but they also want to take care of their patients. And there's yeah. a fine line there. There, there really is. And, and so often I see people, you know, getting frustrated um, at the physicians and, uh, you know, and, and I get it. I understand they are so busy and, and they're stressed. Right. Um, a lot of what we have implemented that's, you know, in the name of change that's supposed to be better for everybody doesn't turn out that it's really better for anybody. 
you know, even if you talk interoperability, right, we, we shoved them all onto EMRs um, mm-hmm. and said, this will be great because we'll be able to communicate with others. Mm-hmm. Well, how many decades later? And we're still not communicating with others. No. Um, and if you actually even have the technology that will hook up to somebody else, you got to pay for it. That's extra, yes. right? Uh, there's extra. more money. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, there, there's no interoperability. And now, you know, it's great, but, you know, from an auditing standpoint, woohoo, we get to read the records. Yeah. Um, but now we're reading seven page notes that really have no context. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's the note bloat thing that we talked yeah, about exactly. so much. Right. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's just a shame. It's if, if we could all go into, to a, a problem with, what should the outcome be and take it from that approach? I think we could just do so much better in healthcare. I agree with that. And so um, you said something earlier about contracting, which that's a whole nother issue, but now you have to, not only do you have to pay, you said you had to hire somebody just to submit records for risk adjustment, but now you have to have somebody that can speak contract language to comb through those contracts. And you're talking about hundreds of contracts and make sure that there's no junk in there, so to speak, about taking money back because of a risk adjustment thing that you don't know anything about. Right. So it's just, it's just, it just seems like it's a vicious um, cycle. So I agree with you. I think, I think the program does need some updating. Should it stick around? And yes, like you said earlier, we love our risk adjustment coders. We have a lot of them here too. Um, But I agree. It doesn't, I don't see how it's contributing to patient quality. No, I'd love for somebody to do a study, Lori, um, right? With, with all of these of how data mining these diagnosis codes changed the care for these patients. That would be really interesting. I wonder what it would say. Hmm. Good. Um, Wow. Okay. So um, we talked a little bit about MIPS too. So what about MIPS? Is that causing as much problems as risk adjustment? Is it about the same? Is it better? Yeah. So MIPS is a whole, a whole nother beast now because you um, you really don't have the bonus points anymore that you that you did before that could help you get to those positive numbers. Right. Um, and so it was really hard to to get to neutral, especially with some of the technologies that are out there. Mm-hmm. Um, it it's definitely a hardship for physicians, um, and uh, definitely uh, especially for us in ophthalmology, the measures that are available are so limited. Um, and you want to do something that's meaningful. Um, mm-hmm. The last thing we want to do is start tracking people's vaccination status, right? And, and those types <laughs> of things. I mean, how does that have anything to do with our business? Right. Um, so it makes it really hard for us to meet meaningful measures and to and to get enough to be able to make sure that we do it all right. Um, mm-hmm. Because right, typically what happens is you pick a whole bunch. And you do the, you submit the ones that actually stick that do the best. And when you don't have a whole bunch to choose from, it, it makes it harder. Um, so it's definitely harder. Uh, a lot of administrative work for the providers to document the extra steps and to make sure that they're hitting it in the technology so that you can actually capture it. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. And now we have real stakes in this game because you know, a 9% deficit on your Medicare line of business, there's no way you can can withstand that. So you have no choice but to participate and participate well. Exactly. Because like we said earlier, well, you said that 52% of your patients are Medicare. So not accepting those patients, that's just going to be detrimental. 
Yep, absolutely. Well, this has been eye-opening to say the least. Um, I'm curious to see what I guess the future holds. Well, I'm always curious to see what the future holds in healthcare, no matter what. Um, But with risk adjustment and MIPS and HEDIS and all of this, it's kind of interesting to see how it's all going to play out. Yeah, yeah, it it really will. Um, The next few years, I think, is going to be telling for all of us. Hopefully, hopefully we have some great people listening and they'll start providing the results to the to the providers. Yes, that's a good point. So if you're out there and you're working for a payer, let's become an advocate um, for training and education and um, the payers and to the coders and the auditors. So everybody's on board. We all know what's going on because it takes all of us. It really does. Yeah. Well, great. Well, thank you again so much for taking time out of your busy, busy schedule and and talking with us today. Thanks, Lori, for having me. Thank you, everybody, for joining us on The Pulse, and we'll see you again next time. At AAPC Services, we help healthcare organizations like yours maximize efficiency, mitigate risk, and prevent revenue loss. Our credentialed experts provide services for insurance audit appeals, coding and billing accuracy, accounts receivable audits, corporate integrity audits, and much more. Find out how we can help your organization overcome challenges and meet its goals. Learn more at aapc.com business.